This week in the Parish of Bourses and Market Structure, SEC Chief Gary Gensler will likely deem this week's DeFi failures as his dream invitation to distribute the DeFi marketplace in his own inimitable way throughout the federal penitentiary system, we suspect. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast 107. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. Networks are funny things. They are, after all, fundamentally interconnected things. At the same time, some people get so drunk on the power of the networks that they seem to ignore the commonality of the nodes themselves. To that end, we had a story from the Bangkok Post in last week's Exchange Invest discussing the curious case of Binance. An apt headline, one might think. As the article noted, despite Thai regulators filing a criminal complaint this month against Binance, the world's largest digital asset exchange, for operating without a license, many users are determined to keep trading on the site and doubt the government's ability to prevent them from doing so. Binance may be the most popular crypto exchange in the country, surpassing its competitors such as Bitcube, based solely on anecdotal evidence. While the company does not release data on how many users it has in Thailand, the largest Thai Binance Facebook group boasts more than 250,000 members. One uncertainty for traders is how the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, would stop trade on Binance if it moves forward with the criminal complaint. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is arguably fair if you are the Thai SEC. If Binance avoids the bat and management don't suddenly do any trips to the nation, they could be okay. But the problem is what happens when everybody's regulator is similarly pursuing the decentralized CZ machine. We're approaching a singularity there. And moreover, into the whole affair, the cavalry in the shape of Gary Gensler and his SEC cohort are about to bring the US to the party. Folks in Singapore may think they are oh so safe, but the scope to fly a C-130 into the military side of Changi Airport is considerable and the ability to take some folks back to the US of A strapped to the vehicle deck are positively plausible. Thus, the Thai SEC may just be making noise about a cohort of traders on Binance, which is large at 250,000, but smaller than Thailand's Manchester United supporters fraternity. However, the US SEC is looking deadly serious. Ultimately, folks need to get their crypto into usable cash, usually at eye-popping haircuts, and that tends to involve a trip through the US dollar clearing system. Exchanging US dollars through electronic means without touching a node, which is either in or closely related to the USA, is broadly impossible on more than an isolated transaction. Say, for example, you bump into a friendly chap from the Sinaloa cartel outside a bank in Panama City 
and agree to swap your crypto for his suitcase full of cash. That's easy enough to achieve, of course, if the coincidence arises, but generally a tricky deal long term, as, you know, UBO, AML, KYC, oh, there's a whole nexus of acronyms at play here, which can be spelt 20 years in ADX. ADX is also known in long form as Supermax. Thailand is playing a supporting role, but sooner or later, whether or not looking like Kevin Costner in The Postman, in what he likely sees as a crypto apocalypse for regulation, the SEC chairman Gary Gensler is about to clarify a lot of the cryptoverse, with hiding spots limited to points where the Taliban reserve the right to lop your head off, or North Korea, whose gross exports are now down below US $100 million per annum. Now that was one view of the crypto world this week, and actually it got worse. Welcome to the DeFi Destruction Derby. I headlined a piece this week. Who needs regulators to destroy things? Bros are doing it for themselves, went the subtitle. Diffy, nice idea, but the whole notion of decentralized finance sucks for the simple reason that, well, you know, the legal system. Even if you think the modernized Roman thing works as opposed to, in my humble opinion, the far superior common law. However codified the law relies on a simple concept of centralization in some way, shape or responsibility. Now, the new age folks who are more phalangists for a crazy hippie commune version of technology nirvana rather than revolutionaries have been taking pot shots for years at we in the original capital market revolutionary cadre who were around long before the crypto kitties were mostly born. Libertarianism is cool, but it just doesn't cut the mustard when the burgers are being overseen by Gary Gensler and Elizabeth Warren. So Gigi has awoken to the best news since he became chairman during the course of the last week. Defi shot itself in the foot and the head simultaneously. Well, decentralized networks have a kind of Schrodinger's cat-faced state thing going, I suppose. Popsicle, crazy name, crazy network, essentially self-destructed over some coding errors. In essence, it had a liquidity additive model, but instead, due to a bug, delivered what can only be described as a taker-taker, wormhole for hackers, to extract cash where investors thought they were making markets. Painful. IMHO, that's the cue for GG to do La Warren's bidding. Extraordinary rendition from Singapore of US citizens and DeFi, you got it. Of course, it also leads the legacy media, looking somewhat egg-faced. The absolute classic of the genre must be Fortune, which published this nonsense as Popsicle melted. It was headlined, Why DeFi Could Prove to Be Less Risky Than Traditional Finance. It was written by the man who heads Binance's US exchange, one Brian Brooks, who clearly left his common sense behind when he took CZ Geld and departed the US OCC. That's the currency one, not the options one. Mr. Brooks's article had started on a safe enough path, and I quote, However, when innovation comes to finance, it is often met with skepticism over its safety and suitability, an issue faced by finance over the past decade. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. 
Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. Albeit, I suspect Mr. Brooks shows his neophyte tendency here. Think what it was like 25 years ago when, do you think email will really catch on, was asked of me by several folk. Several folk, I might add, who are all now self-styled fintech experts. The Binance boss went on, the information and trust asymmetries that banks existed to intermediate centuries ago have been significantly displaced by technology, particularly blockchain and artificial intelligence. The need for great central repositories of information, commerce, and now finance is being reduced by technologies that allow decentralized peer-to-peer networks to perform the same functions more quickly and cheaply. Ladies and gentlemen, much is made of the $80 billion invested in DeFi, which just goes to prove that dumb money comes in big and small sizes, I suppose. What is misunderstood throughout this tedious assault on historical logic is the fundamental part that centralized regulation plays. The fundamental problem remains. Disintermediation is a thing. Decentralization, to remove the central focus or locus and legal standing of a financial process, is not conducive to the finely honed pre-existing legal system. However, alas, one might call them charlatans, like Mr. Brooks, are presumably being paid far too much by Binance to clearly concern themselves with the fabulously fundamental flaw in their logic. Another problem arising is the future problem created on big blockchains. Frankly, I just find it laugh out loud funny that so much money is invested in assets which are stored via the likes of Ethereum. A brilliant college dorm project, but not something which will survive long term, methinks. Go ahead. Why not ask a crypto kitty? They have nearly taken the network down for years, after all. Anyway, in the wake of this article, perhaps Mr. Brooks read something that his PR department had produced under his name and suddenly had a change of heart. Whatever happened, the fortune supplement now looks like a remarkable legacy of the time before the SEC intervened. Indeed, Mr. Brooks resigned as Binance US chief the day after his fabulously ill-timed and misconceived article was published in Fortune. Then the Poly Network was exploited for $600 billion this week, albeit nearly half was apparently soon returned. The total picture was unclear as this podcast was being recorded, but it seems safe to presume that at least $100 million has gone missing. And as I mentioned earlier, that was the total amount exported by North Korea during the course of the last year. Binance itself produced a delicious euphemism in this story headline. Binance plans to break its decentralized structure. Decentralized structure. That's presumably decentralized structure, as in, I'm terribly sorry the accused couldn't come to court because he is currently living in a decentralized structure, far from the jurisdiction in which he is being investigated. Back in the old days, court papers preferred of no fixed abode, as that particular phrase. Elsewhere, Coinbase was on the receiving end of a class action suit, and back to Binance, they announced in a news story headlined, Binance to wind down Hong Kong derivatives trading in switch to proactive compliance stance. There's another whole new phrase for the Binance buzzword bingo card, proactive compliance. In other words, I would imagine the SEC's counsel will now deploy this as an admission of pure play guilt. 
Anyone spotted those C-130s buzzing over CZ's apartment in Singapore yet? By the time Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal ran headlines last week, while Matt Levine's money stock mentioned the SEC has its eye on crypto, and the SEC chief Gary Gensler braces for clash with crypto traders went the journal headline. It was clear that the regulation trailers are now advertising, coming soon, the empire strikes back. I'm not sure the CFTC have perfected the carbon freezing machine yet, but other elements are falling into place, whether it's the SEC or the CFTC taking you to court. Law 360, meanwhile, ran a headline. Gensler is ready to make the SEC the crypto cop. But how? In one word, brutally. And indeed, the brutality began swiftly thereafter. The SEC charged a decentralized finance lender for the first time. The top executives had been raising $30 million through what was bluntly put by the SEC, a fraudulent offering. That case was the agency's first involving securities using DeFi technology. It begins, ladies and gentlemen, just days after the SEC Commission's chairman, Gary Gensler, had called the crypto markets the Wild West. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com, with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or, if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome, wherever you find this podcast. That's it. That didn't stop a turf war breaking out immediately. CFTC rather aggrieved that the SEC seemed to be on their turf. Now, I told you when Gazaji was made SEC chairman that he was likely to do a broad panzer move across his remit, and the niceties of regulatory agencies that aren't under his suzerainty would become an issue. CFTC are going to need the full force of the AG committee to stand full square behind its mandate, as Mr. Gensler attempts to grab power on all fronts. Anyway, however you look at crypto this week, big changes afoot, and a lot of folks have just squandered the better part of $80 billion on DeFi investments. Ah, the joys of youthful hubris. In this case, they may not have realized that when they decentralized, they didn't disintermediate the greater fool. Elsewhere in the parish this week, it was a busy week for results, and actually, we don't have time to cover them today. In case you missed all of the comment on ESGX results, the LSE's results, the TMX's results, and others, you need a subscription to Exchange Invest, the daily newsletter of the board's business. Get in touch via social media or contact us via the website exchangeinvest.com so we can get you signed up for a free trial so you too can sup at the water cooler of the Bourse business. Don't forget, if you're looking for some longer form reading, there's also my book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World, which will help you understand how to profit in this marketplace going forward. One positive story from Cryptoland this week, Yahoo Japan, they're introducing NFT trading in partnership with Line. Now, this is something. Line is a delightful, super kawaii networking app. It's a bit like Telegram, but rather anime fungible. That makes for a very fertile NFT marketplace. Line, moreover, has some 218 million users, with two-thirds of them in Indonesia, Japan, Taiwan, and Thailand. Product news this week, Howard Lutnick is taking aim at the CME's dominant US rates market. Oh, it's that story one more time. The return of ELX, or perhaps a whole new platform. The biggest difference, of course, is this time the CME have stopped doing strategy. 
Microfocus of CME aside, we saw one huge macro trend coming to an end this week. Japan is going to end 300 years of trading rice futures. Japan's Osaka Dojima Commodity Exchange will end trading in rice futures nearly 300 years after they began trading as the first product on the world's oldest futures exchange. Samurai era futures murdered by Japanese bureaucracy in a short sighted move. We called it an exchange invest. Rice needs to be freely traded and not government subsidized. At the same time, the exchange should have the right to decide what to list, not the blob. In career paths this week, just eight months since he left the chief executive officer job of Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing Limited, Charles Lee launched his platform, Micro Connect, a venue that will seek to link foreign capital to small businesses across China. Elsewhere, congratulations to Chairman Mohammed Farid. He's got another term of four years as the boss of the Egyptian exchange. And then we come to the BMLL Market Lens, a really useful tool for some water cooler discussion. BMLL have been stirring up some interesting facts with their Market Lens series. In the latest one, how does investor behavior change in volatile markets? And how can the BMLL market impact framework provide insights into these changes? Well, diving into that amazing 15 petabyte lake of data, the good folks of BMLL noted that during the COVID sell-off of March 2020, traders reduced posted volumes by 90% despite trading twice as much as they had done at the beginning of 2020. In the meantime, average market impact increased significantly to 0.91 BPS compared to 0.19 BPS in post-pandemic markets. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you for listening to this, the EI Weekly Podcast number 107. Have a great week in life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.